trade efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 46, we're joined by Rob Graff. He's a senior advisor to RMI and NACFI, where he talks about how his passion for the environment started back in the first grade. He also talks about how the lessons he learned working on electric buses can translate to commercial vehicles. The importance of working on all parts of electrification, not just the vehicle itself, and how understanding what the customer wants and designing solutions today can avoid problems in the future. Today we have joining me Rob Graff. Rob has a real history with um, you know electrification and particularly with transit buses and other things, but he's now joined NACFI and RMI as a senior advisor. Um, and you know that that's important as we look to the transition to the uh, carbon-free economy. Uh, Rob, thanks for joining me today. Well, it's a pleasure to, uh, to, to have a chance to talk with you, Mike. Do you remember how we met and became friends? Yeah, when I was at the Delaware Valley Regional Planning Commission, I was working on a project we called the Interagency Battery Electric Bus Dialogue, where we were working with 11 transit fleets around the country on the challenges and opportunities of electrifying buses. And I believe it was uh, Danny Ilioyu of King County Metro who suggested we bring in Dave Schaller from NACFI as a guest speaker on, if I recall, standards for uh, communications between chargers and vehicles, which is, a, as you know, a big challenge. And, um, and then when I was leaving my previous employment to try to find work, particularly in this area, I was talking to a number of folks and uh, talked to Dave and he suggested I talk to you. And then I was similarly and sort of oddly also talking uh, with Britta Gross at RMI, who I've known for, for years through my electric vehicle work, uh, without realizing that NACFI and RMI were related. Uh, and Britta said, oh, well, again, I remember asking you at one point, well, have you heard of, uh, of uh, RMI? I've been talking to this woman called Britta Gross. And you said, yeah, she's sort of my boss. Uh, <laughs> and so things came together and I was really pleased that it's really a great pleasure to be working with uh, with with both uh, RMI and with with NACFI. You know, NACFI, we're looking for the expertise as well as some flexibility and and you know and work. And we have a lot of contractors, some retirees, a, a number of people. I think like yourself that are maybe in your, I don't know, part of your career where you can uh, pick and choose different things. And yep. and uh, and this is it's great to have you on board. So let's start with your with your career. I mean, what kind of you know, um, go back as far as you want to and kind of uh, help us get to know you and, and what brought you to work uh, in this area and, um, now here. I remember in first grade, we had the paper drive back when we collected newspapers and our classroom won and we got free ice cream for that. And that sort of made me, you know, that was my first interest in environmental work, I guess. My college degree was actually a Bachelor of Arts in Engineering Sciences modified with anthropology. And I was really fortunate the college I went to, there was a uh, professor there named Dana Meadows who wrote a book with other colleagues called Limits to Growth, uh, which was a very early environmental book on uh, sort of how the systems of the world work together to, uh, you know, if you have if your agricultural system's not working, it'll cause problems with your water. And if your water is not working, it'll cause problems with your electricity generator, all kinds of things are interrelated. I went to graduate school and I got a degree in public policy and urban regional planning and really had some, some fantastic professors there who were really good on bringing together the policy and science issues. 
Uh, and then after that, I ended up working at a place uh, called TELUS Institute, which is sort of a think tank very much like, uh, like RMI or, or really like NACFI is around trucking, uh, around freight. And um, we developed uh, something called the Global Reporting Initiative, which was for corporate environmental uh, and sustainability reporting that ended up being a um, turning into an independent organization and moving out of the uh, U.S. To, to the Netherlands. And I wanted to stay here. So I moved to Philadelphia and uh, started working at the regional planning organization and was able, with the support of the uh, executive director and, this, and the board, was able to found the Office of Energy and Climate Change Initiatives there, one of the first regional planning organizations that had a, uh, a, an Office of uh, Energy and Climate Change. And very quickly, that turned into a clear understanding of, well, there's a lot of emissions that come from come from vehicles, from the transportation system. And clearly, in addition to all the issues of reducing uh, vehicle travel, you know, uh, workplace mm -hmm. commuting issues, uh, very clearly electric vehicles are, are part of that solution. And so that really got me involved with a lot of electric vehicle planning, um, learning about a lot of the, the, the technical issues and challenging issues. And then it became clear, very clear, that first of all, the freight industry uh, produces a lot of emissions um, per vehicle compared to passenger vehicles, and that the freight industry responds to total cost of ownership in a way that uh, individuals don't really all that much in their um, decision making around purchasing an automobile. So that, I mean, when people ask me, you know, Mike, what's kept you in trucking for 25 years, it, it's that TCO decision making. It's, you know, all the way from the people that make the bolts for trucks all the way to the people who are, you know, uh, building and then operating the trucks. It's, it, it becomes, it takes a lot of, I don't know, sort of noise and, and stuff out of the, out of the system and, and makes it, at least for me, more comfortable place to work. Rational. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I'm, I'm naturally an engineer. Uh, you know, that's my, that's my, you know, when I was a kid, I built a telescope and ground the mirror and all that kind of stuff and always take apart things that my dad would wish I hadn't taken apart because <laughs> I couldn't put them back together. Uh, <clears throat> but at one point in college, I, I came to a decision that, you know, and, and this may or may not, this is the way I felt at the time, uh, that there's sort of enough, the challenge is not so much in getting the technology to uh, working, it's in getting it implemented, right? And we see this all the time with some of the work that national labs do. They have great technologies, but if they don't work in the marketplace, if you can't convince someone to use them, if there's a better technology, if there's a technology out there that's good, I mean, diesel technology is a fantastic technology for, for trucking. You can put, you know, almost as much fuel as you want, drive 1,200 miles if you want to, refuel in a minute or two, you can there's no problems with diesel other than the emissions challenge um, until recently when we've found that uh, you can get some total cost of ownership benefits from electric and you're not going to change to electric if you if it's not better in some way so when we think about our climate challenge um, mm -hmm. you know man that's got to be like the biggest systems problem <laughs> ever known to man right yeah <laughs> and, and you know I, i've heard of the grid being called 
you know, the, the most, um, I don't know what the word was, successful system or the, the you know, kind of a biggest system that we know. And then you put that grid inside uh, the solution set for um, this climate challenge and help us think about how that gives you a perspective on the climate challenge and maybe specifically to electrification of vehicles. Yeah, I was talking with uh, uh, Tom Bonner, who was at uh, Pico, uh, oh, gosh, it must have been 10 years ago, about electric electrification of transportation. And it was, you know, he sort of said, you know, this is a huge system, right? I mean, you, you've got the you've got to work on the vehicles, you've got to work on the charging infrastructure, you've got to work on the electric rates, you've got to work on availability of electricity, you've got to work on you know the whole demand charges is it's, it's very it's very interconnected and if you solve the vehicle problem perfectly you're still not there because you may not have the charging problem addressed i mean that was one of the issues with the electric buses is you know they'd have all these buses and then they'd plug them in and they couldn't get the handshake between the charger and the bus you can have all the individual pieces working but they don't work together it's a you, you don't have a, an infrastructure you can have knowledge in one area but if you don't connect it to other areas you can't make the changes you need to make. We're starting to enter a phase in vehicle electrification where um, it, you know, there's a there's a pull for the for sustainability, whether that's um, you know public or private board of directors, the consumers. There's a there's definitely a pull around sustainability and climate. There's a, a government regulatory pull, and there's the insight around the simplicity of these electric vehicles and a total cost mm-hmm. of ownership opportunity. So there's a lot of polling going on here, and I think that's naturally um, then creating the oh my, this is a complex problem. Um, you know, as most things are, right? Things look right. simpler until you get into it. So what? What back to that? So with that um, transit authority, I mean, I, I think. You really had a, a great job there, right? Like you were you were definitely involved with the uh, electric vehicle implementers, you know, kind of really on in a beachhead um, application of transits. So, uh, tell tell us about that. I mean, what what were some surprises those groups had? What were some key um, learnings they had? Maybe some best practices around taking care of some of those challenges that we might learn from for for trucking. One of the most interesting things about that, what, what it was, we had 11, 11 uh, transit agencies across the country, uh, pretty much in every time zone and every climate. Uh, together, they had about over 20,000 buses uh, between them, and they were at different stages of electrification. And we did this primarily because uh, where I worked was in Philadelphia and uh, SEPTA, the Regional Transit Authority for Philadelphia, uh, as well as New Jersey Transit were on our board and they were sort of wondering, you know, what, what do we need to do about this? So we put together this dialogue, which was just the agencies, no vendors were allowed in, no, it was just the people actually trying to make the buses work. And the great thing about it was how useful the information sharing among the different players were. We came up with a, with a set of topics, I think our first, uh, First few calls were setting up what what do we want to talk about, and then we just sort of go agency by agency and have people talk about what they what they learned, or what their challenges were, and sharing information. And there were some people who knew, you know, they'd say they have experience with a particular brand charger, which is why we kept it um, a sort of a closed conversation, is they didn't want to um, get their vendors. Uh, angry at them by talking about things in public, so they say this particular charger will not talk to this particular bus, even though they're supposed to be on the standards. 
it's one thing to have two or three electric buses in a fleet, but a, a bus depot may hold two or 300 buses. And when you have that, you have a whole different set of issues. Now you really don't want to have two or 300 sets of wires on the ground. When you put in the charging equipment, you have all the charging cabinetry, where do you put that? And when you have uh, automated systems, you have uh, communications issues when you have 200 wireless uh, uh, dialogues happening between a charger and a bus. So there were you know, sort of some of the things that work at the small scale don't work at the large scale. I think that's an important thing to realize. So people were moving towards uh, overhead charging, catenary charging, and away from uh, plugins. Now, you don't quite have the same density at most uh, truck depots, especially if you're going to be charging at a loading dock. Uh, but you have some of those issues, particularly when you're dealing with, um, you know, truck stops and so forth. Yeah, I've been thinking about, you know, watching, um, you know, how this is evolving in trucking. And I think there's a real healthy aspect of the startup truck builders, along with the traditional uh, truck builders. So the startups are, you know, solely focused on electric or maybe hydrogen, where the traditional ones, um, you know, are, are electrifying trucks, given their ICE you know, experience mm -hmm. in history, as well as you've got other, you know, fleets that have, have dabbled in alternative fuels that might have, you know, fleets that went natural gas, um, mm -hmm. you know, they've got a head start on the ones with electric. So you've got the people who've never done it before, and they're coming up with some interesting ideas because they're a startup. You got the people who have, you know, been to town and seen the rodeo, as they say, you know, they've been around this for a long time. And, um, you know, they, they have some insight as to, you know, what won't work or what, what can work or what amount of change is the fleets and shippers willing to, to change for these trucks. So, you know, that, that, that gives me a lot of a hope that we'll figure uh, a bunch of this out. One of the agencies really wanted to uh, explore charging at, at bus stops using inductive charging. And then there was a large push against that by people who had looked into it more deeply, uh, you know, because you have to relocate a lot of infrastructure underground and so forth. Uh, and then there was an also, also sort of a theory of whether you needed to have a charger for each vehicle or whether you would have uh, sort of serial fast charging, right? So whether you charge everything, uh, you plug everything in and then you have a managed charging system that manages the 200 buses uh, overnight, making sure that they all get their level charge overnight and keep the total facility below a certain threshold, maybe five megawatts, uh, or whether you want to bring buses in and charge them on a very high power charger in a serial basis to reduce your investment in charging infrastructure. And I think that is still a, 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 a question that's, that's somewhat open. Uh, I know that on-route charging, a lot of people have tried, and it's a similar issue, I suppose, to some of the issues that trucks might have. Really, uh, I, I think there's, you know, I'm looking forward to continuing to work with you, Rob, because I think many of those things do apply to trucks. And, um, you know, it just reminds me that, you know, there, there's the duty cycle differences, which sometimes, you know, we point to as sort of the holy grail of why one company would use a certain solution versus another but you know there's there's other aspects to it too and i guess you could call it the duty cycle but there's other aspects sometimes it's you know um you know employees you know in trucking are the drivers that have to drive these trucks are they are they company drivers are they independent contractors are they 
you know, differences there that might require a different solution? Does it, you know, does it matter if you're operating the trucks in hilly or flat or north or south? I mean, all those things can affect not only the design of the truck, but or bus, but also the um, implementation and so forth. So, um, you know, I think I, all of us that are working on solutions in the space, we need to keep working with the customer, learn what what works, what doesn't work, adapt, be flexible, look at how the operations can change to take advantage of the technology, but not expect, you know, that there's gonna be whole, you know, huge changes. Um, that's really interesting. Uh, what are you most excited about to start uh, taking some of these learnings from all your career and so forth into, into working specifically on freight trucks? Well, I think that there's, you know, as I said, I think it's really important to understand what, as you'd note, what the customers want, right? They, people will choose electric trucks where they make the most sense for them. And I heard uh, Paul Rosa of uh, the fleet procurement manager for Penske speak at a conference recently. And, and he said, look, we want to make this happen. And here's a whole list of problems that we, we don't know what the issue, you know, we don't know how to address these. And I think figuring out a way to check off those concerns one at a time to make this happen is great. Any, any time a fleet changes from uh, diesel to electric, the environmental benefits and of course, the cost benefits, you know, if that doesn't happen, the environmental benefits won't be there. But, you know, the impact of one truck is uh, the impact of uh, many, many, many automobiles. Uh, and so it's, it's important to sort of tick off those issues one at a time and, and, and keep track of how they fit together, right? It's not just the, it's not just the vehicle. It's not just the charger communications with the vehicle. It's, it's the rate structures. It's the uh, where do you locate and how do you figure out uh, on-road charging for, for trucks, truck stops? I mean, if it takes 10 minutes to fill a diesel vehicle, it would afford to go with a uh, thousand miles. You're going to need a lot more stopping and a lot more time. So you'll need a lot more chargers than you do diesel pumps. So how to, how to think about these in a systematic way, I think is really important. A quote that has recently driven me um, in, in a lot of my thinking is, uh, I think it's, I've heard it attributed to Goethe, which is today's problems were yesterday's solutions, right? That, that, you know, diesel is not people putting together a whole internal combustion engine, uh, petroleum based transportation system. were not out to change the climate and pollute the air. They were out to move goods, move people fastly and inexpensively. And so understand it in that manner that that was originally a solution and the problems we're dealing with now are based on shortcomings in that solution or unanticipated uh, challenges in that or unanticipated outcomes of that solution, you know, side effects, if you will. And so as we develop new solutions, we have to think long-term uh, and how those solutions how our solutions today can avoid to the extent you can uh, problems that we'll anticipate in the future. You always make me think when we talk. So I'm glad that uh, we were able to do that here in this podcast. And maybe there's a few out there that um, will inspire some thinking and some solutions that have listened to this. So um, thanks for being on the show. I, I appreciate you doing it. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Mike. It's a real pleasure. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Rosenfranz.